everyone. Thank you so much for joining me today. I have a special guest, Marissa Shackleton. She is the executive director of the Elliott Lewis Center in Wellesley, Massachusetts. The Elliott Lewis Center is a comprehensive care center for patients with multiple sclerosis and other neurologic disorders. I actually used to work across the hall from them when I lived in Boston, and I can attest to how great the entire ELC team is. Marissa has been part of the Elliott Lewis Center, or ELC, since 2011. She oversees the daily operations of the center, directs all aspects of the infusion center, supervises the clinical research program and manages the business. So she does a lot. On today's episode, Marissa talks to us about access to and affordability of MS medications, health insurance for multiple sclerosis, and resources to make your MS medications more affordable. The big question is, how does someone with MS actually improve their mobility, strength, energy, independence, the list goes on. My name is Dr. Gretchen Hawley, physical therapist and multiple sclerosis specialist. Welcome to the Missing Link podcast. Tune in as I share the top strategies and exercises to help you gain control over your life with MS using research-driven insights and advice from top industry experts. Whether you're newly diagnosed or have had MS for over 30 years, whether you have relapsing MS or progressive MS, this podcast is for you. You're sure to feel empowered and inspired after each episode. Ready? Let's dive in. Marissa, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to see you. Yeah, of course. So I have lots of questions for you about access to care and what we can do about it, what patients can do about it. But before we get into all of that, I was wondering if I could ask you a question from my interview deck. Sure. All right. Let's see. Your question is, what antiquated invention do you still use? The fax machine. (laughs) Uh, In healthcare, it seems we are tied to the fax machine, even though it is largely outdated. But that is how most pharmacies communicate, how other centers send medical records. We receive many faxes a day and we do our best to bring it up to date. So our fax machine goes straight to our computers and we get PDFs for each fax. But yeah, it is 2023 and we're still using a fax machine. (laughs) That's so true. I even have a virtual fax number, which also feels kind of silly because you could just email it. But yeah, it's that seems to be how it's progressing with the times. It's still faxing, but it's just a little bit more virtual. Right. Crazy. All right. So let's dive into it. I think a great starting point for our listeners would be to discuss a bit about exactly what your role is, because you are in a unique position where you get to work a little bit with the patients, with insurance companies. We'll talk later about how you're working with bills. So can you just share what you do and what your role is? Sure. 
So I'm the executive director at the Elliott Lewis Center, and we are a private multiple sclerosis center focused on comprehensive care for our patients. I have been with the Elliott Lewis Center for 12 years in a couple roles, but executive director for the last many. I manage our staff, so we have a team of about 15. We have MS specialized physicians, our administrative staff, clinical staff, an on-site infusion center, and our research team. So I supervise our team. I handle a lot of authorization or appeal challenges. So we have an an infusion coordinator and a clinical assistant that manage a lot of the first touch points with the insurance company. But when they come up against some complex challenges, that's when I jump in and, and help them out to advocate for the patients to get their therapies authorized. I do work with patients a little bit, but I'm not in a patient facing role every day. Having been with the center for 12 years, I have had the opportunity to get to know a lot of our patients, which I I really enjoy. And I I support our administrative staff. I support our research staff and our physicians. So you're like the go-to person for lots of different people. That's that's a big role to manage. Thank you. (laughs) Yes. I enjoy (laughs) it. Yeah, that's good. And I feel like to have a role like that, you have to enjoy it because there are so many pieces and components to it. And a big part that you have, which I really appreciate because I don't think this is the norm for everyone in your position is the advocacy part, because even with physical therapy, but especially with medications, you really do have to advocate the access to having that affordable care is I mean, in some cases, not at all available. In other cases, you just really, really have to push for it. Can you share a little bit about what your typical experience is when it comes to having your patients access that affordable care? Sure. So that's a great and complex question. So the MS landscape has changed a bit and having more medications is really great for patients, but it's made it more complicated to access medications because the insurance companies prioritize which medications they think the patients should be on. So it's become a little bit more challenging to get medications authorized because there are so many options and some of those medications have generic options available as well. So the insurance companies are looking, always looking for the least expensive option, which tend to be the oldest medications, which are great for many patients. They tend not to be the highest efficacy medications. Medications that are newer to market that due to recent research tend to be more effective, but also more expensive with no generic options. Insurance companies see these as more expensive, but that's a little bit short-sighted. Because if you're pushing a patient that really needs high efficacy therapy onto a lower efficacy therapy, they could end up in some clinical trouble and have higher healthcare costs if they're going to the emergency room or ending up in the hospital. So there are many layers of complexity in getting medications approved. Our perspective at the Elliott Lewis Center and my very passionate opinion is that what the physician and patient decide is best for the patient, we are going to figure out how to get for them. So we will jump through insurance hoops to get the medications approved. Often that process is that we send in a prescription or a start form for an MS disease modifying therapy. And then the insurance company says an authorization is required. So we submit documentation about the patient's medical history, past treatments, why this medication is best for them. And then at that point, they could approve it 
or they could deny it saying that we want you to try XYZ medication first. So then we could go to the next level, which is often a peer-to-peer where the doctor gets on the phone with someone from the insurance company who is often another physician, but not a neurologist. You could be doing a peer-to-peer phone call with a dermatologist or a pediatrician trying to explain to them why your patient needs this MS medication. I would say maybe 10% of our prescriptions end up in that peer-to-peer step. And then our physicians are, say, 99% successful at convincing the insurance company that the medication is best for the patient. If all steps there fail, a lot of the manufacturers have programs for free medication when it's not covered by their insurance company. So then we can get patients started with free medication and then appeal to their insurance company at a later time to get it covered. So how often does someone actually have to go through those generic or lesser effective medications and then have documentation of it not working to then eventually get the one that they initially wanted. Is that common or is it, I mean, you just said 99% of the time they are able to get the one that they're looking for. How does that work? Yeah, that's a great question. And to clarify, I'm saying that at the Elliott Lewis Center, we are about 99% successful in, in getting the medication authorized to the insurance company. And then if not, we will get it through the manufacturer. Nationally, I would put the success rate somewhere a bit lower. All neurologists or MS specialists, we're very lucky to have the amount of staff that we do and that we have staff dedicated to insurance authorizations and appeals. Many offices are just the physician and a nurse or the physician and a medical assistant. So it's not an option for them to spend hours on the phone trying to get uh, it overturned. They might opt to have the patient try the generic first or try a lower efficacy medication first and then try to switch to something else. Right. And so with this effective rate of 99%, where does it go from there? So then people need to actually afford it. So they've been approved, they can get it, and then they need to afford it, you know, whether it's co-pays, deductibles, whatever that might be. So I know that one thing that you're super passionate about is making sure it actually is affordable, not just accessible. So what is the first step to making sure that someone can afford it once they've been approved for it? Right. It's absolutely necessary to be affordable in order for it to be accessible. So Mm -hmm. patients with MS have so many expenses, as you know, healthcare expenses that aren't covered by insurance, durable medical equipment, their out-of-pockets with MRIs, lab tests, medications that aren't just their disease-modifying therapy. Perhaps they have to do modifications to their home. So there are so many costs that are are associated with the disease. It's nice that there are some financial assistance options specific to the disease modifying therapies. So the one that most of our patients use and that I talk about the most are copay assistance programs. And these are manufacturer programs for brand name therapy for commercially insured patients. So that's a lot of insurance talk, but that means that, you know, you have your insurance through, maybe it's an employer plan or a purchase plan. It's a Blue Cross plan or Harvard Pilgrim, something where it is considered a commercial plan, not Medicare or Medicaid. If you have one of those plans and you're on a brand name medication for MS, the manufacturers have programs in place where your medication is at $0 or perhaps at $5. 
there is one caveat that it is, this is the medication cost. So if it's an infusion therapy, the cost to administer the medication may not be covered depending on what state you live in. I live in Massachusetts and the patients can receive assistance for the medication, but not the administration. However, the medication is the part that's so expensive. MS medications cost an average of $94,000 a year. So having these financial assistance programs in place are critical for patients to get therapy. Yeah. And that's, that's really specific too. like being able to weed through all of that information and understand that it's the medication, not the administration or vice versa. Is that the patient's role to understand that? Or how would they even figure that out? That's a great question. I would say often that's my role to explain that to patients. Our infusion coordinator talks with patients about that, but it is very confusing. So I try to speak to it whenever I'm talking with our patients or when I'm doing having advocacy opportunities or or speaking to other practices to make sure that they're understanding their financial assistance options and how to explain it to patients because it is so complex. And that's only, we only touched on commercially insured patients. So options for Medicare and Medicaid government insurance are different. They're not eligible for those commercial copay programs. They are eligible for third-party assistance foundations. So one that we work with is PAN Foundation, but there are many foundations available. There's a great list of them on the MS Society's website. Unfortunately, funding seems to come and go quite quickly in those foundations, but you can go onto their website and set up an alert, say you're looking for funding for multiple sclerosis, and then get an email when that opens and submit an application. Each foundation has different criteria for enrolling, but I found a lot of our patients that are government insured become eligible for these third-party foundation assistance. I did not know about that. That's really beneficial. So then if they do apply and then they get accepted, is it often that it's fully covered or is there still a copay or something that they do have to contribute on their own end? So typically patients that are applying for these third-party foundations, Medicare may cover 80% of their costs for the medication, or if they have a a Medicaid or government plan that covers only a portion, these financial assistance programs are to help with the remaining out-of-pocket. I feel like this is a perfect segue into a conversation that you and I were having right before we pressed record on this episode. We were talking about your recent activity by going to the state and speaking on behalf of a bill called the Copay Accumulator Bill. And this bill, if put in place, can help patients with their copays. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? As it is for most patients that we see, the copay and financial assistance can apply to their out-of-pocket. So if your medication costs $10,000 and the insurance company covers $8,000, you have $2,000 left, and you get some financial assistance for that, the financial assistance pays the $2,000, and that should be it. That $2,000 should go toward your deductible toward your out-of-pocket. However, the insurance companies have kind of found this gray area where they're saying, well, the patient didn't pay that, so we'll take your $2,000, but next time you have an MRI or a a prescription refill, we're going to ask you for that copay, that out-of-pocket, that deductible again. Mm -hmm. So the insurance companies are getting paid twice. And 
the patients are not getting the benefit of the financial assistance as it's designed. So the bill that I went to speak on would ban this practice in Massachusetts. As of now, there are 16 or 17 other states that have this ban in place to protect copay assistance, financial assistance, making sure that it's supporting the patients, not supporting the insurance company. So it's also very complex. And I think that the message was well received by the legislators, and I'm hoping that it goes through uh, quite quickly. Yeah. And it's helpful too, that there are other states that have it in place because hopefully the more that have it in place, the more we'll continue to put it in place. Very much so. I think it's challenging that it's such a complicated topic and you have to have a full understanding of the insurance companies, the medication cost, what these programs are, and then what this process of copay accumulators is. So I think that's probably the most challenging aspect of getting this bill through. Yeah. And can people find that online, like find where this bill is and see if it's fully been banned or if it's still in progress? Yes. I would look through for copay accumulator bans in your state. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. So one thing that I also wanted to touch on was the fact that I think most people listening right now are probably feeling like they want to work with you. You just are so knowledgeable. You understand insurance and these really, really important things that could truly make or break not only the accessibility, but affordability. So if someone did want to work with you and or the whole Elliott Lewis team, you guys have a full comprehensive approach and team. How would that look if someone listening, whether they're in Massachusetts or maybe in a different state, how would that look if they wanted to work with you and your team? Thank you. That's very kind. We do pride ourselves on having a comprehensive care center and really treating the whole patient, you know, spending a lot of time with the patient, encouraging them to bring their families for questions. Our physicians frequently spend an hour or more with their new patients and at least 45 minutes with their follow-ups. And our whole team really gets to know the patients, which I think is a very nice experience all around that we work so closely together with the patients on their care. So if people are looking to connect with us, you can reach us on our website, elliotlewismms.com, which I believe you're going to include in the show notes. Our website, there's a contact form on there. My email is listed on our website, We are accepting new patients. Many of our patients are are local to Wellesley, Massachusetts, but we also have many that come from all over New England or that travel to see us. So some patients are co-managed by our center and by others that might be closer to home. So perhaps a patient comes to um, the Elliott Lewis Center once a year and sees a, a local neurologist closer to home, or perhaps they make a trip twice a year to see our physicians and maybe get treatment here. So there are a variety of ways that patients can connect with us. Say most of our patients are within driving distance and come to see us exclusively for their MS care, but we certainly collaborate with other providers in different locations. Yeah. And what a lot of people may not know just from listening to us is that it truly is a one-stop shop. So you mentioned your entire team that's there, but there's also the on-site infusion center. And I know that when I worked across the hall, you know, at the physical therapy clinic, they, all of our patients that were mutual patients loved it because they got to see their neurologist and on the same day they'd have their infusion. And it's just so nice to have everything in one place. And this might sound 
silly, but my patients loved the parking situation, <laughs> especially in the, in the greater Boston area. Parking can be really hard to find, which again, makes it less accessible, the clinic as a whole. But you don't have that in Wellesley, which is so great. Thank you. Parking is a big deal, especially if you have the gate challenges. Mm-hmm. So uh, we were previously, we've always been private, but previously located at a hospital. We moved to our center here in Wellesley in 2016, and it was a raw space. We were able to determine where the walls went, how big the offices were, how wide the hallways are. Those things are really important. So, you know, our our hallway is six feet wide, so we can have ample space for a wheelchair and a walker to pass each other. So that we've put marks on our floor um, that are it, the actual flooring, it has the 25 foot timed walk on both sides of the office. So there's a lot of thought into designing our space to have it be accessible for patients. It's very convenient to have the infusion center within our suite. So the physicians are a couple office doors down from the infusion center. Most of our patients have their appointment with the physician when they come for their infusion. So it is that one-stop shop. We do labs in the office. We have a relationship with the physical therapy office that has an MS specialized PT. And the parking is very nice to be able to park right out front. And we're on the first floor. It's very accessible. A bit easier than the navigating to where we were at the hospital where you'd park in a garage and take one elevator and then navigate through the corridors to take another elevator. And by the time you get to our office, you're exhausted. Yeah, you can tell, and anyone who's listening who has been to your clinic knows, but you can tell how well thought out it was. I think you guys thought of everything in terms of accessibility, which is, I think, one of the most important things in general for MS, including medications, but also just the doctors that you see. And can you share, you mentioned it when you were talking about the different companies or organizations that might be able to help make your medication more affordable. You said to go to the MS Society website. Is there something specific that people should search to find those options? They have a page on financial assistance, um, and that's very helpful. You can also contact the manufacturer of your medication and see what patient support options there are. One part of financial assistance that I didn't mention much was the free medication program. So patients that are on brand name product that are uninsured or underinsured or their insurance company has denied the product might be eligible for free medication through the company. There are generally income requirements for this, but it's really, I've seen it most used in our patients that are uninsured. Perhaps they're between jobs or they've lost their insurance through a spouse or a parent and they need to access medication and it's too expensive to pay out of pocket. So these programs are really excellent for them. There are also many programs that provide bridge dosing. So if you're due for a refill or you're infusion treatment and you've lost your insurance, they'll provide medication for you during that time. It's, mm-hmm. I really try to emphasize that to our patients that affordability should not rule out you taking your medication. We'll find a way to get it for you. Yeah. And I think that's so helpful to know now before someone's in that situation, because I'm just thinking about how I would react. If I was in that situation, I would very quickly freak out like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do with this medication? So hearing it now, if you are in that situation in the future, knowing that there is something in place can, you know, calm the nerves a little bit, hopefully. 
Yes, I really hope so. And especially patients that might, they've got so much on their plate if they've lost their job and they're like, well, I can't afford the medication. I'm just not going to take it. No, give us a call. Like let's, let's figure it out together and preferably give us a call before you've taken the last pill. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So you're not like needing the next one tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah, Awesome. Well, this has been so helpful. Thank you so much for opening our eyes to this. I think that the world of insurance and accessibility and affordability is so dense. There's just so much to know. And I think you broke it down for us in a way that was easy to understand and gave us resources for even more affordability. So thank you so much for your time and sharing your expertise with us. Thank you so much. I'd like to quickly call out just a couple other places for resources. So on our website, we have a patient resources tab that has some really helpful information. I mentioned the MS Society. They also have a patient navigator program, which can be really helpful in figuring out some more case management items, financial assistance for durable medical equipment, transportation. They're really useful navigators through there. The National Infusion Center Association has uh, a lot of education for patients. So kind of if you were confused by what I was talking about with the insurance, they have some slides on insurance 101 or a a healthcare um, glossary. So you can kind of see all the terms that are thrown around frequently. And they also have an infusion center locator if you're looking for a, a place to get treatment close to home. And last but not least, the Infusion Access Foundation is a great advocacy organization with some education for patients as well. Awesome. And I'll put some of those in the show notes as well, because that was a lot. So if if you're driving or not at a place right now where you can go look yourself, just check the show notes. I think resources are so helpful in helping people with MS and otherwise feel less alone and also in more control, which is so helpful for MS just because MS takes a lot of that away from you where you don't feel like you have the control. So anytime we can have things in place like these types of resources, the more beneficial it is for everyone. So thank you again for sharing. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to today's show. I am so grateful to have you as a listener. If you'd like extra resources, such as a video of one of my seated exercise classes, my favorite core exercises, and the opportunity to ask me your questions, head to missinglink.com forward slash insider. That link will be shared in the show notes along with links to my social media handles. If you loved this episode and think a friend or family member with MS would benefit from listening, please go ahead and text or email this podcast to them right now. Sharing this podcast will help me educate and empower as many MS warriors as possible. Thanks again for joining and be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the Missing Link Podcast.